Open your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah. You know, we've been studying and thinking about ways that we can engage the culture. Begins by engaging Scripture and all of us doing our part, being fit together and all of us accomplishing that which God has gifted us to do. And this morning, I want us to look at this topic, engage tomorrow, engage tomorrow. How many of you want tomorrow to be better than today? Amen. Amen. How many of you want it to be a lot better than today? Um, It is interesting that many people have a desire for things to get better, but they don't actively, intentionally set out to see that that happens, to put things in place for things to be better tomorrow. Uh, I was talking with a friend, um, Lawrence Vance. You know, he, he wrote the book on Calvinism, some other things that we use. I was speaking to him this week. And um, he, has, he, he was a teacher, professor, and he's resigned his, all of that to give himself completely to his writing. But, you know, Baptist writers pretty much starve to death. So he always has a job on the side to help pay the bills. And um, the, he, his job, his last job that he's been doing, now imagine this, one of the greatest minds in the world, Lawrence Vance. Okay, IQ higher than Einstein. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. You know what his job has been for the last three years? Driving the monorail at Disney. And he did that to have insurance and to, so that he could write. It's very interesting. Well, that job, it was too far from where he was and he wasn't earning, so he's, he's trying to find something else so that he can do what God's called him to do. And he said this, maybe I just need to play the lottery. <laughs> and I said to him what Jim Jimerson always said. He said, I never win the lottery. He said, I keep hoping that one of these days I'm going to win the lottery. He said, no, I never play, but I'm hoping that one of these days I'm going to win the lottery. And it's funny that we can, we can act. No, let me, disclaimer, don't play the lottery. Lottery is a tax on the stupid, right? You have a better chance of getting struck by lightning twice than, than when, don't play the lottery. The issue, though, is many people, they, their, their plan for tomorrow to be better than today is daydreaming. You know what's going to happen? I think one of these days I'm going to have an accident. I'm going to run into somebody, and that person is going to look at my need, and they're going to make me their heir, and they're going to give me $100 million. How many think that's a good plan for the future? (laughs) That's the way that people work. They dream. They dream. They watch the stars on television. I'm going to date myself. How many of you remember Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's all, and you know, those people are dead. How are they doing now? The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, and they're even either in heaven or hell, and, and their lifestyle, what they had on earth, had nothing to do with whether or not they went to heaven or hell. How many of you think that, um, that when you look at what's going on in the world, that it would be really nice if tomorrow was better than today. Now, you understand the only way that's going to happen 
is for the Lord Jesus Christ to return and establish His kingdom. Now, when the Lord comes back and He raptures us out of here and we're all, the, all the believers are taken out, well, then there's the seven years of judgment on this world where God deals with His children and with the nations and how that they have uh, dealt with His people. He returns, you have the judgment of the nations, and then Jesus Christ rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years in perfect righteousness. Isn't that awesome? That is great. That's how tomorrow is going to be better than today on a global scale. So here's the idea. Globalism is in God's hands. Right? All these people that are trying, you know, we live in a global world and we need the kids to understand that they're not just citizens of America, they're citizens of the world. Really? Do I get a vote? Do we get a vote in what's going on? I want to vote against ISIS. Okay? My vote doesn't matter. I'm a citizen of the United States. How are we going to make the world better? How, how is my tomorrow going to be better than today? How, well, I can tell you this. The only way that the United States is going to be better tomorrow than it was today is if we lead people to Jesus Christ and ground them in the faith. The Tea Party's not going to do it. The Republicans aren't going to do it. The Democrats aren't going to do it. The Nazis aren't going to do it. The Muslims aren't going to do it. The only thing that will change this country is people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen? So now here's my question. Now, how many of you believe, with what, I just, believe what I just said? You believe that. What are you doing about it? Again... Us wanting America to be better tomorrow than it is today is just like wanting to run into that car and have them give you $100 million. Wishing people to be saved is not going to see them saved. Is that right? God has chosen to use human instrumentality. I, I, was, I was thinking about this. All of us want our kids to have a good life. How many of you want your kids to have a good life? Now, some of you have the old school, I want it to be hard for him. I'm not going to give him anything. Okay, I know there's a few of you like that. There are others of you that want life to be better for your kids, so you're going to give them everything. I didn't have anything, so I'm going to give my kids. I don't ever want them to work. I don't want them to hurt their little fingernails. I don't want anything bad to ever happen. How many of you think those are two extremes that we probably ought to avoid? Right? All of us want things to be better for our children. I am going to be, Lord willing, bringing a message this fall, a, a series of messages on the home. And one of them will be on child rearing. So if I want Lydia and Jacob to have a better tomorrow, all right, if I want their future to be bright, and I do, well, then that had to begin before they were born. That had to begin with Laura and I having an understanding of how we would raise our children. Right? How many of you understand there's a difference between being a father and being a godly father? There's a difference between being a mother and being a godly mother. So it had to begin before we were married. I needed to choose a godly wife. She needed to marry a godly husband. And I'll tell you this, and this is, this is the blessing of God. You ready for this? I didn't date her initially because she was holy. I dated her because she was pretty. 
Amen? Sometimes people get up and I'm, I'm going to marry just... God's got a, someone for me and some ugly girl comes along and you think you have to marry her. No. God made ugly girls because He made ugly guys. He doesn't want us to be unequally yoked. I mean, it's just... It's in the book. It's true. But here's the difference, though. Here's here's where it comes in. Because of my parents, the Lord had ordered my life through godly parents in a way that I was around godly ladies, godly young ladies, so that the pool that I had to draw from were godly people. That makes sense, doesn't it? You don't go fishing in the cesspool. I hope you don't. Not sure about Luke Hickman. We're still praying for him. Is that right? You all with me on that? What are you talking about, Brother Jim? It's very simple. It's very simple. I want the future to be good for my kids. That started with who I dated. That makes sense, young people? Now, if, you, if we had the chance, we could have people come up one after the other and give testimonies about the blessing of marrying the right person or the curse of marrying the wrong person. I don't know if you're trying to decide right now whether you did that. <laughs> Aaron Edwards is causing trouble back there. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> but is it true? Do you all agree with me on that? It's so important. Those are important decisions. If I want the future, if I want the tomorrow for my kids, that starts back with the choices I make of a spouse. And all that has, God needs to be involved in every step of that. Then before we, after we're married, before we have children, and we discuss what, what is, what, how do you think the kids ought to be raised? How do I think the kids ought to be raised? There needed to be agreement there. Right? There needed to be agreement there, and we did agree. And, and all of those things that go into raising a child, then when they're born, and they start throwing a fit when you're changing the diaper. And, and think about this. You're changing the child's diaper. You're helping that child. Is that right? How many of you really enjoy changing diapers? That's, that's, your, your goal in life is to change diapers. No, none of us enjoy that. None of us enjoy that. Laura would tell you that I wouldn't do it, but I did some. You're changing their diaper, and they're throwing a fit when you're changing the diaper. You're helping that child. You need to correct the child right there. That's where the instruction begins. Amen? It begins right there. When you begin disciplining a child... Come here, Jake. Come up here and help me. I'm going to discipline him right here. Okay. Now look at, look at little Jacob. <laughs> I can still take you out. Okay, if I start disciplining him now, now we've got a problem. Because in order for me to do something physically to get his attention, it's probably going to be against the law. <laughs> right? That's not when you begin the discipline. You begin the discipline when they're in the diapers. Now, for him, that was like two years ago. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's so... Brother Yates is probably thinking, you're so hard on... If you knew how mean he was to me at home, he, you know he deserves every bit of that. <laughs> now, listen. What am I talking about? It's very simple. 
<laughs> Some of you are thinking, what does this have to do with Jonah? You'll see in a minute. <laughs> I can't start disciplining him. He's, he'll be 16 this month. I can't, I can't start disciplining him when he's 16. It starts when they're two or three months old with the diaper. And then it's immediate obedience with the right attitude. We deal with their faces. We deal with their faces. What's that look on your face? Of course, now Jacob would say, that's the face that God gave me. I don't know what you're talking about. There's something smart aleck like that is what would happen now. But we would deal with their faces and their attitudes and their spirits. Why? Because we want their future to be good. We want their future to be good. What are you doing today in order for tomorrow to be better. And remember the premise behind this. The question is this. We want to be engaged with the culture. We don't want to be entangled with the culture. There's a difference. There's a difference, and we've been over that. But now let's look at the book of Jonah. I want you to think about something. When I was trying to think of a tomorrow that was better for a group of people, the tomorrow was better for Nineveh because Jonah went. Is that right? When Jonah finally got there and he preached, they repented and God spared them and the city wasn't destroyed for another 125 years. They had better tomorrows because Jonah had come. And so I wanted to look at this idea and I want us to think about this concept. How can tomorrow be better? What can we do to engage tomorrow? Why don't we have a word of prayer and then we'll look at the text. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we need you so desperately. And Lord, we as a people are so entangled uh, with the world because of the philosophies of the world that we have imbibed. And Lord, even those of us who attempt to be godly and holy through the power of your Holy Spirit, we are all uh, corrupted by our culture. Lord, help today to be a wake-up call for us so that tomorrow can be better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's look at what happens here. Verse 1, Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... I want you to notice, what's the first word there? Now. Now. Uh, I begin preparing for tomorrow now. Now. I love it that this book starts this way. Do you know who this is relevant for? Us. This book is relevant today. It's relevant now. Now. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah... The word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Um, we meet the word of the Lord before we meet the prophet. The Bible is more important than the man. Amen. Here at Grace Baptist Church, this word is way more important than Jim Alter. I'm not the authority here. This is the authority. Is that right? And people submit to the authority that this gives me. I don't have any authority. All I have is the Word of God. And you submit to the Word of God that's preached accurately. If I say something that's not in agreement with the Word of God, you don't submit to me on that. You submit to the Word of God. Is that right? And so this is very important. The prophet of God is not nearly as important as the word of God. Because he can't be a prophet of God unless he's speaking the word of God. 
All right? It's very important. The Word of God has to be our priority. Our methodology, our mandate, our message is from God. It's not from men. Now, it's very simple. I don't follow any particular man in my preaching. I learn from a lot of men. One of the books that I used for this message was James Knox's commentary on Jonah. And you all have got to meet Brother Knox. That's a blessing. When I first started preaching here, I would have looked a lot like Dave McCracken. And we have a surprise guest, uh, Brian O'Dell, uh, is from the church in Oklahoma. He was there when I was on staff there. And if, if Brian had come here our first year, he would have thought he was looking at a bad impersonation of Dave McCracken because that's what young preachers do. They're influenced by the preachers that train them and teach them, and then eventually they become their own man. That, that, that's what happens. And I'm thankful for Brother Dave. He taught me so much about how to preach. Um, our Bible conference is coming up in a couple of weeks. Ron Jones is preaching our Bible conference. Ron Jones was on staff with me at the same time. And I'll give you some stories about Brother Ron when he comes. He's a fantastic preacher. You really enjoy him. Now, Brother Ron and I are not perpetuating Dave McCracken's ministry. We're preachers of the Word of God. Now, let's be, let's be careful. I'm thankful for Brother Dave's influence in my life. Praise the Lord for that. I'm not perpetuating Dave McCracken's ministry. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. And this is something that we as believers that we have to remember. One of these days, Jim Alter won't be pastor of Grace Baptist Church, but it's still going to be Jesus Christ's church. Whoever the pastor is, our job is still the same. It doesn't change. The personality of the church may change. How many of you think that my personality is a little different than Bill Hovestrites was? <laughs> the, the, the people that are laughing really hard are people who were here when Pastor Bill was here. We couldn't be any different. You know, like the British would say, chalk and cheese. It's just different. But we both loved the Word of God. We both preach the gospel. We both care about souls. We both care that this church is a Baptist church and carries on the doctrines of the local church. All of those things, they stay the same. The job of evangelizing the world, all of those, none of that has changed because Jim Alter became pastor. Is that right? The Word of God is more important than the man of God. But look at what the Bible says. Go back to Jonah. Verse 1 again, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go, and look at the middle of the verse, and cry. So arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So what we have here is in the first verse, we learn that it's for now. We learn that it's the, the word of the Lord coming to a man. We have established that the word of God is more important than the man of God. Now, would you all agree with all of those statements right now? Right? And yet, God has chosen to use human instrumentality. The, the, the heart of this story, the heart of this account, is that God wanted that man to do the job. Now, do you believe that God could have used someone else to preach to Nineveh? How many of you believe God could have used someone else? He didn't want to. He wanted Jonah to do it. And here's the question. Do you believe that God has a specific job that He wants you to do? 
Did God create you for a purpose or are you extra? In the skits, you know, the videos that we're doing for uh, tonight, one of them that we reviewed was a modern church service. And it just describes everything the guy is doing. So the preacher, he's talking about what he's doing, and he says, pause for effect. Still pausing. I'm still pausing. I just did that, and I couldn't help but think about the, the skit. Um, do you genuinely believe that God has a specific purpose for your life? Now, if I said, let's line up, and I want you to come to the microphone and tell everyone what it is, what would you say? Well, God wants me to be a mother. Well, that's great. That's it? The... So your plan, your purpose in the work of God is to be a mother. Mary's taken. That job was done. Your job is to be a godly mother who fulfills her purpose in the plan of God. That makes sense? All right. Now, so God uses human instrumentality. Think about Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets uh, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. God uses human instrumentality, and many times He wants a specific human to do it. And here in the book of Jonah, God had a specific task for a specific person, but Jonah didn't want to do it. So I wonder how many Jonas we have here in the room today. I don't want to. God, I know you want me to do this, but I don't want to do it. That, that was Jonah. I wonder. God has a plan for you. And look at what He tells him to do. So we looked at that in verse 2 already. Arise, go, and cry. Arise, go, and cry. Look at that word arise. I want you to think about something. What God does is He lifts us above the mundane. Everybody has a job or wants to, right? Everyone has to mow the grass. Everybody has to buy groceries and fix meals. Everybody has to put gas in the car. Everybody has to paint the house or fix the gutters. Y'all agree with that? That's, that's what everybody does. We all have our roles that, that just contributing to society. When God says arise, Jonah was already doing something. God wanted him to arise. He wanted him to rise above whatever it was he was already doing because he had a higher calling for Jonah than whatever it was that Jonah was already doing. Is that right? A higher calling. The work of God cannot be done by people sitting in idleness. I'll tell you, the two, I think the two main problems that we have in, in our churches, okay, we can talk about all of Christianity, but I'm talking about us. Idleness and idolatry. Idleness and idolatry. Some people are just lazy. How many of you know some lazy people? How many of you work with some lazy people? That's a bummer. I, Pastor Nathan, I can't get him to do anything. It's just... <laughs> 
idleness, and that's not, you know, if you're going to describe somebody, you know, Patrick Kennedy is awesome. He does, he does such a good job at doing nothing. You're never going to describe somebody that way in a positive way. You know, Dalton Robertson's dad, he said to his sons one time, you guys are as useful as a trunk full of dead men. <laughs> That's encouraging, isn't it? You, don't, you do not commend people for doing nothing. Is, is that right? The two problems, two of the key problems we have are idleness and idolatry. Idleness, people who don't do anything. And idolatry, people who are passionate about the wrong things. Now, Virginia Tech took away one of those problems last night. It's going to be hard to be as excited about Ohio State football this year. How many of you would say amen to that? How many of you are still kind of bitter about it? Say amen. Bob Bob Curtis can't really say anything. Where's Bob? (laughs) Do you realize that football is idolatry for a lot of people? It's their religion. I've heard the the stadium there in Texas, the Texas Stadium. I've heard it called a cathedral to football. That's probably a bad thing. Would you agree with that? So we're passionate about the wrong things. Now, it's okay to like things. I love football. You guys love football. That's fun. We're doing fantasy football. I'm going to destroy Jay Curlis today, just crush him, fantasy football. So it, th- that stuff's fun, but are you more passionate about football than you are about the Lord? If you are, that becomes idolatry. The two kinds of people that we deal with in churches today that, that really keep us from accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish are the idol and the idolatrous. And I hope that we are none of those things. Now, I think that all of us, if you're going through a hard time in your life, that it's hard for that not to be the biggest thing in your life. Amen? Do you know that if you make, allow that to be the biggest thing in your life, that that's idolatry? That sounds hard, doesn't it? Well, the reason that it's idolatry is because your problem in your mind is bigger than God is. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is bigger than your problems? Do you see the difference between worship and idolatry? Those are the two people that we struggle with, the idol and the idolatrous. And God tells him, he says, arise and then go. Go. You want to know something? I don't find in the Bible anywhere where God tells someone to sit and wait for somebody to come to him. You've got to go. You've got to go. It's active. It's active. We could look at verse after verse after verse. Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, Acts 1, 8. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We're supposed to go and do that. You all agree with that? I know some of you are thinking, men, I, I support missions. Well, I'm glad you support missions. Is that the same thing as going? No. No. Look at verse 2 again. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now look, his job was to arise, to, to get above whatever it was that he was already doing. And let me say this, I doubt it was bad. God doesn't call wicked people to go preach the gospel. He just wanted them to do something more. And then he had to go... 
But then when he got there, he couldn't be passive. He had to cry. The Bible says that Jesus stood in the temple and said, and cried, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't have him up there saying, Okay, everybody, I'm here. I'm Jesus. Come see me. Hi. Hi. That's not who Christ was. You all agree with that? And when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, he wanted him to have passion about what he was supposed to do. He wanted him to be passionate for his message, passionate about the truth, passionate about the death, the impending death of the people that he was going to preach to. Is that right? Yeah, I'm saved. What are you doing today? Oh, we're going to go to church. Really, what church do you go to? Oh, Grace Baptist. You like it? It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Chairs are comfortable. I can sleep well. <laughs> passionate! Passionate! Cry! Go! Arise! Those are all action things. And we looked last week at Laodicea, and the issue of Laodicea is not that they had a bad statement of faith, it's that they didn't care about it. Passion. Passion. How is tomorrow going to be better today than today? Passion. It's urgent. Crying is bold. So now let me ask you a question. Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? Why did he do that? So that their, could, their tomorrow could be better than today. That's why. Why was their tomorrow going to be bad? Look at verse 3. Or verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Isn't it interesting that something can be great and wicked? What do you think of Nineveh? Oh, it's great. It's wicked. It's wicked. That's why they needed a preacher. They needed a preacher. How would their tomorrow this better tomorrow for them, how would it be accomplished? Well, Jonah needed to arise, go, and cry. Is that right? That's what he needed to do. God had chosen him as his human instrumentality, and Job was to cry against the city. To cry against the city. Now, we have our kickoff tonight, and it's all about what we're going to do this fall, and we have all kinds of plans for the fall, and we're... uh, new stuff for discipleship and a lot of other things that we're going to be talking about. And lots of opportunities for us to minister in the city. Next year, we have plans for even more changes and things to come. All right? We have all of that that's coming. But when you look at churches in America and you go into these cities and the names of these churches, my favorite one is The Ramp. That's funny. I guess you go to heaven off of this ramp. I don't know. But, but these churches, what they're trying to do is make their, their, their church, their services, as comfortable as possible for the world. Right? They want to make their, their church look as much like the world as they can. Is that right? And we know that that's, that that's what's going on. Well, what did God tell Jonah to do? 
Go to the city, that, that great city, and cry against it. Cry against it. I've never seen that in a church growth manual. Hey, Sydney, Sydney's wicked. The wickedness of Sydney has come up before a righteous and holy God. And he has said, Becca knew, go to Sydney and cry against it. He said, Tom Ferrier, go to Piqua and cry against it. Now, of course, lots of people in Sydney enjoy crying against Piqua. That's a different thing. The, the idea is that the city is wicked and their only hope is repentance. But repentance is from something and to something. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. And so the message, it's interesting, when you look at the, the, at, at the methodology of churches, it is let's make the church as comfortable for the world as possible. Well, how will they ever know their sin? How will they ever know it? Cry against them. Cry against them. Jonah's job was to cry against the city first because it's wicked. Wickedness is an affront to a holy God and they need a preacher. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 10? How can they hear without a, a preacher? Without a preacher. Some of you are thinking, man, that's why we pay you. <laughs> that's not what it's talking about. All of us are supposed to be preachers of the Word of God. Wherever we are, wherever we are, it's our job. Um, so now, what was Jonah's job? So uh, we are understanding that God was wanted the tomorrow for Nineveh to be better than it was going to be. Now, let's, make, let's be very clear. God was going to destroy the city. Y'all get that? How many of you get that? God was going to destroy the city. How many of you think that would have been pleasant? No, the tribulation's not going to be pleasant. Hell's not going to be pleasant. God always judges wickedness. And the preachers that God sends are always preachers of righteousness. Preachers of righteousness. You can't stand for the right without standing against the wrong. You know, the Joel Osteen, when he was asked about the Mormons, oh, I don't get into all that. I just love Jesus. Really? If you loved Jesus then you would know that the Mormons worship a false Jesus who is not the Jesus of the Bible. So if you really love Jesus, you'll tell the Mormons who Jesus really is. That's not hateful. That's loving. And so he was a, a preacher of righteousness. That was the first part of his job. Then second, he's commanded to cry against the city. And third, it's impossible to stand for the truth without standing against error. Love for God requires this. Love for God requires this. Uh, keep your place in Jonah. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 with me. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. 
the Bible says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, I want you to think about something. Every sin is an affront to a holy and righteous God. Do you all believe that? Well, then, shouldn't we as believers speak against that sin as an act of love to God? Laura is a neat freak. She's a, a clean nick. She's pretty much despotic in her cleanliness. All right? So she goes away, and it's my responsibility to keep the house clean. Well, I'm challenged in that area. <laughs> And so, I have the kids clean the house. Right? The day I'm too lazy to tell the kids to clean the house is the day I'm really in trouble. Now, now what am I going to do? Because I love her, I'm going to instruct them. If you do this, your mother will not be happy. How many of you remember your dad coming home from work tired and stressed and mom protecting him from you. Why? Because, number one, she loves him, and number two, it'll be better for you if you let dad have some time to calm down, to wind down after work, right? Um, Lydia was reading, I think it was Lydia was reading this curriculum, this home ec curriculum from the 1940s that was teaching girls to do that. Fix your hair. Put on something nice. Make sure the house is clean. Have the children go outside. Have something ready for your... That was public school curriculum in the 1940s or the 1950s. What, what, what were they teaching? They were teaching the lady how to be a good helper for her husband. Why? Because the basis is love. The basis is love. And so if I know that sin, that, that wickedness is an affront to the God that I love and worship, then I am going to speak against that. Is that right? That's the job of the preacher. That's what we are supposed to do. So his job was to be a preacher of righteousness. He's commanded to cry against the city. It's impossible to stand for truth without standing against error. And love for God requires all of this. So we know what God told Job to do. We know what his job was, but what did Job do? He ran. He ran the other direction. Uh, why? Why did he run the other direction? He ran away from the command of God. Now look at this verse. I want you to see something. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, and from the presence of the Lord... So when he ran away from the command of God, he was running away from the presence of God. Wow. Wow. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa. And isn't this always the way when you want to go away from God, you go down? And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Now I want you to think about something. Look at, look at that verse. Look at it. It says, 
But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish and from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. God had opened a door. It must be God's will. There was a ship ready and waiting for him. It must have been God's will. He wasn't really going against God. You see how stupid people are? Well, God must want me to do that. He opened the door. He didn't close the door. What? You're so... Okay, let me... Filtering. Filtering. Let's not think that way. (laughs) Amen? Let's just be honest for a minute. How many of you have used that excuse and found out it was really a bad idea. Would you raise your hand? Hold, hold them up and everybody look around so you can see you're not the only one. All right. Oh, God didn't close the door. It must be what he wants me to do. <laughs> so if I wanted to jump off this building, God's going to put a door there? No, he gave me common sense. Don't jump off the building. God had told Jonah what to do. And for a time, he allowed him to run the other direction But God wanted Jonah to do that. Would do what? Go to Nineveh. That's what God wanted him to do. Okay, so now let's let's go on. Look at the text. But Jonah rose up, verse 3, to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I want you to notice something. Keep your place here in Jonah. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And look at verse 66. Now, we are King James Bible people here, and it's amazing how many times the actual references teach us something. Look at the numbers that you have here. John 6, 6, 6. So that's, that's Satan's number. Rebellion, right? Let's see if there's anything coincidental in this passage. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. In the tribulation, there's going to be people that had had the chance to follow Christ, but now they're going to follow Satan and take his mark. But I want you to notice what happens here. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They didn't want to do what he said, so they left his presence. Is that right? Then the famous passage, look at what happens. Verse 67, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's awesome. That's what we believe. That's the choice that we are making. And remember what we said all the way back at the beginning, several hours ago, that what God said was the Word of God is more important than the man of God. Right? Where will we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. And so Jonah thought he was going away from the presence of the Lord. We're not going to take the time to look there, but Psalm 139, where where can I go to hide from God? If I make my bed in hell, there he is. 
If, if I run from him, there he is. If I go in the darkness, darkness is as the light to him. Where, where am I going to go to hide from God? Where was Jonah going to go to hide from God? He wasn't going to. Look at verse 4. Let me ask you, where are you going to go to hide from God? Does God have a job for you to do? Are you going to arise, go and cry? Are you going to do it? Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the, shi- in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. And that's what people do. We've said it very often. People don't turn to the one true God when they're in trouble. They turn to whatever it was they've always been worshiping. That's why they need a preacher. And cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. You know, sometimes being away from God can be really comfortable. Hey, I'm happier than I've ever been. I stopped serving at that church. I'm happier than I've ever been. Sometimes it can be very comfortable not to serve God. But let's see how that works out for Jonah. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper, arise? Isn't it interesting what happens when you stop serving God? Your title's not prophet of God. His title's no longer prophet of God. It's sleeper. Hey, sleeper. Hey, sleeper. Wow. And then notice what he says, arise. Do you think that that ship captain knew he was telling Jonah, he was using the exact same word that God had used to Jonah in verse 2? It's interesting how God uses the same words to prick our consciences over and over and over again. Arise, 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 call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. God can control whatever he chooses to control. Now, how many of you think it's a good idea to cast lots? Well, what are you going to do for college? I don't know. I'm going to cast lots and decide. That's not a good idea, guys. Right? Right? Yeah, right. I looked on the ground. I don't know. No, I don't think so. Um, Then, verse 8. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. Isn't it interesting that you have a heathen rebuking the prophet of God? A heathen. A heathen. How about this? What is thine occupation? What should he have answered? I'm a prophet of God. Really? What do you do? I preach against wickedness and tell people to turn to the one true God. Now, what I think is so interesting about this text is I think that God put all of these questions in this ship captain's mind to challenge the man that was running away from him. For whose cause, uh, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? From whence comest thou? What is thy country? Of what people art thou? How about you? You're out, you're, you're doing a job and there's stuff going on and somebody says, what church do you go to? Oh, well, are you a Christian? Do you have a testimony? There's so much that can be said. Let's go on. And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew. Really? That's your occupation? What's your occupation? I'm an American. Really? 
Food stamps? What? I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. My God made this mess that we are in. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? He is supposed to be a preacher of righteousness, and a heathen is challenging him for his unrighteousness. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever had a lost person challenge you about your behavior? That's convicting, isn't it? That's convicting. Look at what happens next. Then, verse 10, Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. Now I want you to think about something. Is that what he should have said? Is that what he should have said? No. He should have said, Hold on. I repent, Lord. I will go back. I will do what you tell me to do. Do you know what would have happened? The sea would have stopped. The sea would have stopped. It is amazing how many Christians would rather live as martyrs in ministry than repent and do what God wants them to do. Oh, just let me die. And, just let... and I want you to notice something else. Look at what he says. He said, and he said unto them, verse 12, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. If he really loved them, he would have either repented or jumped over himself. He wouldn't even do that himself. He had to make them do it to put it on their heads, to make them responsible for it. He still wouldn't take responsibility for his own behavior, his own actions, or for what God had called him to do. Then look at what it says. Nevertheless, verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. This is what we need to understand, is men have no power. Men have, no matter how hard they try, Men are helpless on issues of death. Verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. You ready for this? This is amazing. I want you to think about this. When they cast their stuff overboard, the storm didn't stop. When they cast their sin overboard, it did. You know, monasticism is not the answer. The Bible says we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Us building a compound and hiding from the world is not the issue. The issue is let's get the sin out of our lives and go in and preach righteousness. Amen? Now look at what happens. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, eventually what happens, we know that the fish vomited Jonah up on shore. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Can you imagine God needing to vomit you somewhere? That's what it would take. That's what it would take. No, how about we arise, go and cry? How about we do what God said to do? How about we begin today preparing 
for tomorrow. Let me just give you some practical steps and we'll be done. How are we going to engage tomorrow? First, first of all, recognize that the victory is already won in Christ. The victory is already won. Jesus Christ has already died. He's already risen from the dead. He's already ascended to the right hand of the Father. And He is making intercession for us right now. Your future, if you're saved, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, your future is secure. Amen? Ultimately, your tomorrow will be better than today. So let's, let's give it all to Him. Let's go. Recognize the victory is already won. Then believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. How many of you think it would have been better for Jonah and for all of those men if Jonah would have simply believed God and obeyed Him? Just believe God. Believe the Bible. You want tomorrow to be better than today? Believe the Bible. Then obey the Bible to understand it. We're not going to take the time to look at it, but John 17 and John 12, 35, they both teach that. Then be holy. Be holy. I want you to think about something. When the Bible lists... The, the works of the flesh, heresies is one of them. Heresies is one of them. Be holy, know what you believe, and then pray. Pray. And remember the importance of discipleship. Remember the importance of discipleship. If we want tomorrow to be better than today, we need to make disciples. Uh, the, the direction of our church for years and years and years has been discipleship. It's time to get that emphasis back to where you are teaching someone else the Word of God or you are being trained to teach someone else the Word of God. If you want tomorrow to be better, it won't happen by sitting on that chair. Amen? It won't happen by sitting at home. It's going to happen when we as believers accept the call of God to arise, go, Cry against the city. Bring a message of righteousness. Combine it with holy lives and with prayer. Believing this book and expecting God to do something great here. That's how tomorrow is going to be better than today. Wishful thinking isn't going to do it. Running into the car and having, give you, having him give you $100 million is not going to happen. Tomorrow will be better than today if, if, we obey the call of God in our lives. So I'm done. Let's all stand together. I want to ask you a question. What is the call of God on your life? What does God want you to do?